0: A lot of people who plan events want everybody to be happy. And I I think some of the very best speakers, the people that really appeal to the men and women that own the meetings and control the budget, is not necessarily necessarily to make everybody happy but to challenge them and perhaps even um, make people feel uncomfortable.
1: Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi there, my name is Sean Hanks. I'm CEO of Premier Speakers Bureau, and today we have a very special episode. Um, It's difficult to get an entire industry of people to agree on one thing, but our industry agrees on one thing. Brian Palmer is a uh, pillar of our industry and has been in it for more than five decades. Brian. Glad Thanks to be here. Thanks for joining us Thank here you. on the podcast. Thanks for having me. 50 years. You've seen a lot. You've done a lot. Congrats and Thank we you. love to have Thank you on you. this team. I'm going to jump right in. We have a whole list of questions we ask a number of your friends, colleagues, uh, customers, event partners over the years. Um, what are some questions you would have for Brian Palmer? I hold those in my fingers here. So Brian, I'm going to jump right in. All right. Answer as we go and... Um, it may peak another question or idea or two. So this is truly just a conversation. Um, we're, we're privileged to have Brian Palmer on our team. And um, this is, uh, hopefully we can just unpack 50 years of experience and um, where, where he sits today. So Brian, I'm going to start off. Krista Haberstock, which is a mutual friend of ours, says, or asks, who was your first booking and what was the contract like? A hot topic for the day, contracts. Who was your first booking?
0: Well, my first booking was on the first day at work. It was George Will. Okay. I came, the phone rang, I got asked for, and in about 20 minutes, I had George Will booked. It was $7,500, and I looked like a hero in the office. (laughs) Boy, this guy is good. (laughs) What they didn't know is the day before I had dinner with the parents of this woman I was dating in college. And her dad was a very senior executive with a pharmaceutical firm. And he said, well, what are you gonna do? And I told him what I was gonna do. He goes, I know people that hire speakers. Let me make some calls. And the next day, a senior vice president called, said, do you book George Will? I think my voice cracked. And I said, I think so. <laughs> and boom, it was uh, it was done in minutes. And the contract was very short no legal review, and uh, happily it went very well.
1: No legal review. I love that term, Brian. Put that on a t-shirt. You mentioned that you started, that implies that National Speakers Bureau, which you um, ran for many, many years before you became a part of Premier Speakers Bureau, was in existence prior to. How did National Speakers Bureau become a thing?
0: My dad started the company. He was a musician. He got tired of traveling all over the country. And he, um, uh, he stole a phone book from a New York City hotel and he brought it home <laughs> and he started comparing them, looking for businesses that he might be interested in that existed in New York and didn't in Chicago. And he f- saw there were all these speakers bureaus in New York, there weren't any in Chicago. He said, I'm going to get into that business. So that's, that's really how it began and it grew very slowly in the beginning, but it Did very well over time.
1: Founded in 1973,
0: And in 1972, I was a freshman in high school. And my work then was centered around coalition, stapling, licking envelopes, and (laughs) trekking packages to uh, the post office.
1: Got it. So, nepotism wasn't a thing at National Speakers Bureau. Brian started at
0: the bottom and worked his way up. At the very bottom, and I have the scars on the tongue from licking envelopes <laughs> to
1: prove it. I love it. Marjana, another uh, mutual friend and great um, um, participant in our industry, asked this question. Well, it was, starts with a statement. I've always admired you, Brian, your ability to make time, generous time, for uh, your friends, your clients, and your colleagues. So she asked this question, and this probably one you've been asked many times before. What advice do You have for your colleagues? We're in a fast paced, sometimes transactional industry. What advice do you have for them slowing down in order to make meaningful connections?
0: Well, I think a lot of it, Marjana, thanks for the question, has to do with saying no to things. Because people, we all get asked a lot of questions. We all, uh, I shouldn't say we all, we, we, many of us have an urge to be helpful, but you can't be helpful. I could literally make reviewing speakers, videos, giving advice, a full-time job. And I, I can't do that. So I think when you, um, uh, develop a set of criteria, what, what kind of things that you want to help with and then being willing to say no to people when you can't be helpful to somebody or perhaps, I get plenty of questions that I don't want to answer, and there might be some today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, saying no a lot frees you up to do the things that you value highly.
1: Great. It's known in our industry, especially from speakers, and Brian and his five decades in our industry, if you if you can get Brian Palmer on the phone, you're going to get some amount of sage wisdom, advice, Um, Many of our speaker friends who are watching this have the eternal question, well, how do you get Brian Palmer on the phone? What is Brian Palmer looking for when he sees a book that shows up on his desk unsolicited, a video that lands in your inbox? What's that magic ingredient that makes Brian um, say, you know what? I am going to spend 30 minutes on the phone with individual X." Sean, that's one of the questions that I don't want to answer. <laughs> Let me strike that off the list.
0: No. Right? That's a no. That's a no.
1: Got it. Well, Brian has. There are so many fantastic speakers in our industry who will tell you privately, over drinks, or even from the stage, a conversation with Brian started me on a trajectory um, that has sent me, I will say, into the into the uh, atmosphere of being a very successful speaker. So. Don't take that as unsolicited phone calls and emails. We'll get you what you want. Uh, but Brian, you've been known for that uh, for a very long time. So congrats to you. Thank um, you. So we started, or, or we started in 1972 or three, correct me Two. Two. September. September, John Palmer founds National Speakers Bureau um, He puts a uh, Brian in the mailroom licking envelopes uh, fast forward to the mid 80s 90s 2000s, what are some of the big trends or changes that you've experienced in the industry over the years?
0: back in the um, 80s and 70s. I noticed that If a speaker was interesting and a little entertaining that was enough, but slowly um, people, financial people, ended up or started to scrutinize more meeting spends and say, well, why are we doing this? This is not really helpful. It's causing people to laugh. But um, event owners started getting more purposeful and asking speakers to help them achieve some objectives. So they started filling out pre-programmed questionnaires and having conversations with speakers. Telling them what they wanted to do—that really didn't happen before that. we just the the jaunty speaker would get up there and do his or her thing, and um, uh, uh, that was enough. But it, it slowly became less enough, and over the you know through the rest of the the last century and up to now, it's gotten more and more um, important that a speaker be willing to. Personalize and listen and help with event objectives.
1: Intentionality and purpose. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting for our event planner uh, friends and colleagues as we watch. Carl Ware, a mutual colleague of ours, asked this question, and he says this can either be an amazing keynote or train wreck. And train wrecks are more entertaining, but they're more painful the moment. He says, or he asked, what is your most unforgettable keynote experience, Brian? Um,
0: it was a uh, meeting industry conversation, an audience of 70, 70% woman, women, a CNN uh, headline news then, I don't know if that, does that still exist? I CNN headline so. news um, host a woman um, said a lot of disparaging things about women, and one of them was, uh, Bill K- Clinton wouldn't, wouldn't have been catting around had Hillary gone to Victoria's Secret a little bit more often. <laughs> Silence
1: in the room, I suspect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and two, two, two fun things happened. I remember of a, a, a person in our industry booked that speech and I just, Got lucky and ran into him right after that. And he sees me and he turns to me and said, I don't think that went very well. <laughs> <laughs> so Reduce. so ap- apologies were issued, but it, it was, I mean, people were gasping uh, every four or five minutes at things that she said.
1: Rightfully so. That's so.
0: all-time worst.
1: All-time worst. There you go. I'm sure there are hundreds of all-time best or memorable experiences, but train wrecks are more entertaining at times. <laughs> God bless that poor event manager.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was the best.
1: You're uh, hopefully uh, had some vacation time after that. <laughs> Brian Palmer, you're known in our industry um, as a race car guy. Yeah. You've built your own race car. Not yeah. many people can say that. So I say that with some oomph because it's it's just a cool thing to say. Tell us about your race car.
0: Well, I um, ever since I was little, I liked working in a car, on cars. I couldn't decide when I was little if I wanted to be a race car mechanic or race car driver. And I never really did anything to follow either one of those paths. It was just sort of a a fantasy of mine, though my parents were very generous and let me take cars apart. In fact when I was when I was nine, my parents bought a car and had it up on blocks in the backyard and let let me work on it. But I I was always interested and then in the um, in the late nineties I decided I was gonna I wanted a car that I could drive on the racetrack. So it combined both loves and I bought the components and built a car and now I drive it on the track at track events.
1: Well, following up on that, Troy Hazard, a uh, great speaker, a longtime friend of ours, and I don't. You have to tell us what this question even means. He's, he asked, "What is your best lap time at ABCC?"
0: Um, that's Autobahn Country Club. It's one of those country clubs oh. where um, I'm not a member, but you, you can go there and uh, uh, take your car. And I'm a member of a group that rents it out and. Um, I think it's a minute 46 seconds.
1: Well, humility is a virtue. Where does that fit in fast versus slow, Brian?
0: Well, I think by by virtue of having been a member for a long time and done this for a long time, I'm in the instructor level. But I don't go as fast as the car will go. Because when I'm going really fast and I'm coming up to a corner, I keep thinking, well, I built this car. I put together the brakes, <laughs> so when I put it into fifth gear, I I, I don't keep my foot in, in it for a long time, so I'm, I'm I'm am I'm a bit cautious.
1: Got it. Translate that as very fast. Yeah, that's the answer. Got We're going to stick with gas powered fast machines. All right. Nicole Malakowski, yeah. good friend of ours, terrific speaker. Um, she asked if you could fly any aircraft in the world, past or present, what would it be and why. Well,
0: I know Nicole flies an F-15, don't you, Nicole? And I once asked her, did she prefer the F-15 when she was the squadron commander in the Air Force, or did she prefer the F-16 when she flew for the Thunderbirds? And she said, oh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> but she, she said the F-15, and she gave a bunch of reasons. And I, I think I prefer that one because it's got two engines. And I've been bugging her for years to try to find a way to get me in one of those for a flight. And if I did that, I'd want her to be my co-pilot. Absolutely. And Nicole, shotgun.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll follow up. One more question from Nicole. What's the fastest that you've ever gone?
0: Well, I'm not sure how fast I've gone in the airliner. But in my race car, I'm pretty sure I went 172. And the reason why I'm not sure, because when I'm strapped in, and it, it is street legal, too, but the st- speedometer is kind of behind a spoke in the steering wheel. And the, the seat belts really hold me in tight. They're not the ratcheting seatbelts like our, our street cars have. So that's a, that's a rough estimate, but I'm pretty sure it's right. Theoretically, that's as fast as the car will go. And I was in fifth gear, and I was uh, redlining the engine. And, and, and so that's part of my calculation and coming up with fast. that number.
1: Yeah, fast. Yeah, I love it. Uh, when they make a lifetime movie, the Brian Palmer story, who would play you? I
0: just um, uh, booked a speaker um, who Brad Pitt played him in the movie Moneyball, and I was just and I was putting the deal together, and I saw him and Brad Pitt looking all all handsome. <laughs> so I, I think that'll that'll. I um, love that it will be my guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, our friend Karen Harris asked, uh, just for some uh, sage advice that you've learned over the decades, but what's one or two takeaways um, from five decades? Um, and I would say five great decades. So many people have positive things and uh, positive encounters, um, positive things to say about you, Brian. Uh, what are one or two bits of advice you would give to someone on the front end of their career in this industry?
0: in terms of w- booking speakers, being in the event business, or a speaker?
1: Let's say just in the event business in general.
0: Well, I, one that I um, think is really important is to r- recognize that most people lean a certain direction. Some, About half people lean toward wanting their, their mind touched with an idea, and the other half lean toward wanting their emotions touched. Hmm. And really good speakers go back and forth during the course of their presentation. Because if you've got a bunch of engineers and the speaker is is telling a bunch of st- kind of soft, lighthearted stories, that might not appeal. But it might appeal to some. So during the course of your presentation, go back and forth so that you appeal more broadly to the people in the audience. And the, the point that I made earlier about um, Uh, personalizing the presentation. That should be, for a speaker, that should be um, inherent in the way they prepare and the way that they deliver. Make sure that you are addressing ideas that exist in the mind of the audience um, and, um, and help the organization achieve their objectives. And also very importantly, a lot of people who plan events want everybody to be happy. And I, I think some of the very best speakers, the people that really appeal to the men and women that own the meetings and control the budget, is not necessarily, make, make, necessarily to make everybody happy, but to challenge them and perhaps even um, make people feel uncomfortable. Make people and feel uncomfortable about the role and that maybe they need to get better. And they can use that, that speech and that event as a platform to get better and be more useful
1: to their organization. Great advice. One or two more questions here. Our friend Bill Benjamin, and, and somewhat touching on that same point, um, said you had given him advice. I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, the hard part about selling speakers is helping people decide on, uh, at times, something that's not necessarily their idea. You have five decades of experience in this industry, and. You're an expert on that particular thing. Uh, But being able to convey to someone who's an event manager, trust me, this works. I've seen it work many, many times. This being a a speaker, a type of content. Um, Speak to that thought for a second of being able to almost invest in that event manager and say, you need to trust me right now. This thing is going to work. Um, But it's not necessarily their idea. How do you make that... that, um, that moment happen.
0: Well, it depends on the person I'm talking to. Sometimes I try to shame them into <laughs> say, you know, there. I've got these customers that won't consider an idea that is not their own, and they, oh, not me. <laughs> and actually, that's something I think more senior people are often very guilty of. That I mean, they it's their meeting, it's their money. The it's it's not so much the the um, speaker's fee, but it's the Impression that that speaker makes uh, to the five hundred of the most important people that they've taken out of the work place and 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 have at this meeting. It usually comes via some good questions. Some people are um, uh, really impressed by testimony. I mean, great testimonials about that speaker's presentation. Uh, whether that that, that speaker has walked in their shoes, worked in their industry, or spoken in that industry before. Some people, and and I put a lot of weight into into uh, videotape, um, sometimes preview video, and often you can find a video of an entire presentation um, on on YouTube so that you can see the way that that um, uh, speaker introduces ideas and how he or she delivers on them. to to be able to make that assessment. But through conversation, ask what's important to them and try to give them what they need to feel comfortable. Because a lot of it, a lot of what we do is trying to make people feel comfortable with the decision and everybody is different. So finding out where they can become a little bit more comfortable with with their decision is really,
1: I think, the key. Patrick Johnson at Eshow, I think is a friend, said, I've heard a few, but I have to know. What's one of your favorite celebrity encounters?
0: Well, sometimes there have been some encounters that were really touching. Like sitting and talking with John Wooden, Mm. uh, the former um, UCLA basketball coach for a long time. And what really, I mean, we had a wonderful series of conversations, but I was so touched that this one of the all-time great college basketball coaches and the all-time great coaches sat and 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 talked to me and was interested in in what I had to say. Um, having a jaunty conversation with uh, Jesse Owens, wow, and and um, that was really special. I r- ran track in high school, and he was always he was always a big deal. The old videos of of him in that german stadium looking up at hitler and hitler turning and and leaving leaving the stadium when when he was when jesse owens was given the gold medal um and the first president bush uh here's this former leader of the free world and he was being lighthearted and funny i couldn't i just couldn't believe how kind he was to the people in the kitchen. We had a group of, a scrum of people walking through the kitchen and all the cooks are like this. And he goes, I gotta, he stops, I gotta ask you you people something. You're not, you're not feeding me broccoli tonight, which he was famously, (laughs) (laughs) uh, which he famously found (laughs) distasteful. Mm -hmm. He was a, he was a kind man and it was, it was cool to see him interact with people and, and interact with me and ask me Ask me questions.
1: That's great. I have two final questions. One um, is from your longtime kind of uh, right hand man and just another great guy in our industry, Don Jenkins. He asked Was Don Jenkins your best hire ever? But don't answer that question for Don Jenkins. Well, I have, do have one final question, but I want to say Brian, um, it's not hyperbole or overstating it to say to you that you've been an icon in this industry and pillar is the right term like you really have set the tone for integrity, and I know this that's important to you because you're following in your father's footsteps in that right. way um, you've set the tone for integrity, the right way to do business fairness, um, giving everyone a voice in Um, situations whether they be be positive or negative uh, those situations you are known for being able to um, handle those things with class so on behalf of thank you premier everyone in our building um, everyone on the premier team thank you for setting that standard for a long time thank you sir the final question I have for you is um, you've got a lot of wisdom institutional industry knowledge 25-year-old Brian Palmer, he's licking envelopes in that mail room. There's a 25-year-old Brian Palmer somewhere right now licking envelopes in a mail room. What's that one bit of career advice you would give to 25-year-old Brian Palmer today?
0: Um, the point I made earlier about saying no, I used to say yes to everything, and I think it, it, uh, it, it bogged me down. But what we do is important. Um, We help organizations achieve something and being concerned about the event and the speaker and our company is important, not just our company in trying to make sales. Helping people achieve their objectives with genuine um, uh, advice, honest advice, that's, uh, I think that's been the key. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, man. Congrats
1: on 50 years. Thank you very much. 50 more to come. All right. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.